Hello and welcome to this episode of the Healthy, Comfortable, Happy Podcast. Before we start, this episode contains a lot of conversation that might be triggering for some of our listeners. If that sounds that it might apply to you, please be sure to check the show notes for a number of websites that might be able to help you. Enjoy the show. Okay, welcome to this episode of Healthy, Comfortable, Happy with uh, Neil Thomas and the wonderful Sash James. Hello, Sash. Hello, Neil Thomas. How are you this evening? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Fighting fit um, and a way to go. Can't wait to speak to our guest today, who you are yeah. subsequently going to introduce. I am. Um, I feel very privileged. Now, um, our guest this evening is a friend that goes back a long way. And I was actually thinking about it. Claire, it's nearly three decades, dare I say. Um, so Claire and I um, went to school together. We um, were in the same form. We played sport together and just generally, you know, grew up together. Parties, all of the fun stuff. Had a lovely time. And yes, she is uh, an exceptional individual. She works for our NHS um as a physio but she will kind of go into that into more detail she is an exceptional mummy to two um a fabulous wife and an all-round good egg um but we are going to we're going to delve deep um in into sort of claire's story over the last couple of um decades i suppose maybe claire um and it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting one thought-provoking but yes um I feel really uh proud and honored to to know Claire and I hopefully her story is uh going to be really helpful for people so um thank you Claire for joining us thank you so much for being here we really appreciate it 
um, and welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> right, okay. Um, fire away. Fire away. So let's just go straight in with the first question that we always ask everybody. And our first question is, obviously our, our podcast is all about well-being, but Claire, what does well-being mean to you? What is well, sorry, what is well-being in your eyes? Mm. So it's so hard because <laughs> it's such a ginormous question, isn't it? Mm. So I sort of initially wrote down some things and then thought, how do I sort of hone this in so that I'm not, because you could talk about all aspects, lots of different aspects. So mm -hmm. I suppose I decided obviously to focus on the principles that I hold dear and that I think are really important and I do have two children so I then sort of saw it through the lens of what do I most want to teach my children and how what kind of people do I want them to be what's important so it made and also my job it made me think of my job quite a lot because that defines a lot of me um so I decided that well-being means to me that I would like my children and myself, and my family to be kind, thoughtful, questioning. Um, by questioning, I mean, you know, not happy just to accept the status quo. You know, we all want us. We want to just be able to have enough knowledge that we and confidence that we feel able to stand up if we don't think something's right or you know just generally you know an inquisitive mm -hmm. about the world around yeah. us and I want them more than anything Amni to be aware of the world that we live in it's amazing and um, be thoughtful about that they are a small piece of our family and then wider than that our wider family and then they live in High Wycombe and then bigger than that they live in England and that's part of this and it's part of that and I want them to be aware of that bigger picture it's not just about them <laughs> um, yeah. and I wrote down here well-being sleep food love stability mm. just absolute basics but they're so essential mm. and health we can't guarantee our health my job shows me that and I think that's massively focused me and I've always wanted I always wanted to work with people I love people find them fascinating mm. um I like talking to people I waffle on um <laughs> welcome to our show I find yeah, people, ideal guest Perfect. yeah I find people <laughs> fascinating and I find their lives interesting and I find everybody's different lives fascinating in the way different mm. people approach different things and my job allows me to to do that and I suppose there's been many a time when I've been stressed and very little sleep you know children up through the night and then you've had to get up and get everything ready for the childminder and school and bring dollies and whatever not in the back of the car and they take their clothes off and you know all that <laughs> by the time you arrive at work you just literally like climbed a mountain already Yes. And then you get into work and someone will phone in sick and, you know, it's all the usual day to day. Oh, how the hell are we going to get through the day? And then you go up to intensive care and then just wham, bam, massive reality check. Mm. You know, every day just go, I'm so lucky. And it just immediately gives you that, like, get out of your own head, get out of your own life. <laughs> There's mm. bigger, you know, obviously we all have to focus on our own families and our own lives, but um just make sure you appreciate what what you've got because mm. you can't 
we, you know, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything, do you? I mean, so, yeah, I've waffled away. <laughs> no, I was about to, I mean, Neil, I don't know if you'll agree, but I feel like Claire's hit both our questions, which is what is well-being and why is it important to you? And you really summed that up beautifully. And I love that idea. It's almost like as you were describing, you know, where everybody fits, I almost felt like it was like a jigsaw puzzle. So like when you look at like a piece of a jigsaw puzzle, there's like a blue, maybe there's like a blue bit and a green bit on it. And those can represent like the different people in our family. But then you put it next to a couple of other pieces of the jigsaw and then something else starts to grow in a bigger pitch. And then you keep going out and then all of a sudden all these beautiful colors and everything that look amazing on their own actually they create this huge fabulous picture that's visually what I was seeing as you were describing that it's just I'm really visual and I you know that is so important to me like there are so as the children grow up and they start to develop their own sort of individual individuality likes needs etc you know they're part of we're 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 a four we're a family um, supported by a wider family but ultimately I want them to feel we, we work as a team that's what we have to do you know mm. if we need to all help each other out at different times and I think that was massively highlighted by Lily's illness because um, Isabel found it extremely hard um, so there's a month when I was in hospital for, with Lily and obviously they would only let one of us stay with her because of Covid mm. so she was at home with Ben I was in the hospital popping home two or three times a week if I could to see her for a little bit but the, what kept us connected was I said we are we're still a family even though I'm here and and Andy's in wherever he is yeah. you know you are still you're, you they, you're your core people and doesn't matter where you are they're still there mm. and you'll still have the same thought family values and you carry those out in whatever setting um, yeah and I just think you know that's that's as they gain their independence, as they get older, it's that feeling of being part of something. I think that's really important for them. Yeah. So it's so important. Yeah. I think it's a. I think it's a really uh, great way of of looking at it, and I, I think it's just super important. You know, like Sass explained it in the jigsaw. I think of it as like spheres of influence. So like yeah. your core of your circle diagram is your you four. And then you've got your your family, nans, grandpas, aunties, uncles, and then you've got friends and family included in that. And then outside of that, your community, and then yeah. outside of that, I don't know, High Wycombe, and then London, and then you know, it just yeah. keeps going. And um, I yeah, think, and I think, yeah, I agree. Sorry, I'm interrupting. But I think right. I'm just thinking that actually, you take that back in again. Like when things don't go very well, basically that just got. So we literally went down to just literally the four of us. I mean, obviously we were hugely supported by our very close family, but there was no thinking space, no thought process in the horriblest way really for anybody else. There was Mm. no, because it was too much. So it was fundamentally the four of us with our core sort of sister, brother. But even then I could, there were times when I couldn't even, Ben and I couldn't talk sometimes. We just looked at each other and, what can you say because we were both hurting as much as the other and we just connection just by knowing (laughs) and I think it it sort of takes you back down to the absolute bare basics and then gradually she's recovered we're starting to see more people again and bringing more they were always there but their sort of presence in your life just got honed right down to the bare basics so yeah I like the spheres thing I like that I just wrote as well 
why is well-being important I sort of distinguish it slightly just by sort of saying that fundamentally we know that poor well-being in terms of your physical and mental health can affect well poor mental well-being can affect your physical health we know that and vice versa mm. um, and then in turn that affects your quality of life and your ability to maybe do the things that you hold dear and that you want to do and they'll be different for every person but having good physical health hopefully and mental health allows you to have choices doesn't it and if you have those taken away then that that then therein lies a problem so so in so sharing what you shared and I think we've got some really nice visuals going on there and hopefully people will feel connected to you know um what you've been discussing but you started to um touch on your your story a little bit and um it's one of the reasons why um I approached you because I think you've got a story that is extremely sensitive um something that affects more people than maybe people actually think um and I I it's going to be something that you know I think it's uh you're on a you're still on the journey of it so I just wonder if you could just quickly give us a little brief outline to sort of maybe like leaving sort of school, university, starting work and sort of the start of your family and just kind of a brief overview, just a brief overview of like how that little journey started. I didn't prepare for that. Um, Just so people get an idea of, um, you know, a little bit more into I suppose I was a bit textbook really. I left school I went traveling for a bit I went to uni got my job as a physio I always knew I wanted to be a physio so I suppose that was sort of an easier choice for me some people don't always know what they want to do and then I have worked at Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust now for well I started in 2003 so what's that (laughs) however many years long time 18 years yeah 18 years young love it yeah um had lots of fun um and then when I was 26 I had Lily my little puppy mm-hmm. I'm not very hard but that's you know but what do you you know you, you cope I did find that quite hard but that's a whole other don't really remember that very much but um and then um I've worked from the moment the girls were went back to work when Lily was seven months old because at the time we you know financially things weren't great um which was tough looking back but you know you just do what you've got to do don't you but I've always held on to my I always wanted to continue with my work because it's really important to me and I've trained for a long time to get where I was um the whole you know parenting working mum discussion is a whole another ball game but let's not go there um you can come up on, you can do another podcast today. We'll, we'll definitely be doing something on that chat away so I carried on working part time, and then I had Isabel, my lovely little Lizzie. She's three and a when is Lily was three and a half. Um, took fourteen months off maternity at that time, which was lovely. Enjoyed that a lot. Um, and now and then we just continued to be a little family unit that bumble through. We've been very lucky, or you know, we haven't lovely, lovely family, amazing friends. Um, 
just generally no major traumas in our lives we've just been really lucky and I've carried on working I love working for the NHS I increased my hours when the girls got a bit bigger I worked I've, I work in respiratory care so I work with people with breathing problems that's what I specialize in about five, my last post was in intensive care for about eight years which I loved and then for the last five years I now work for the Bucks Integrated Respiratory Service so I do treat people with chronic lung disease breathing problems home oxygen nebulizers COVID um, <laughs> Another podcast. No, You've got three episodes so far. Without mentioning We need a whole, need a whole um, series just on you. <laughs> and then the part, the last year has been just for everybody. Um, so yeah, let's 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 talk about that. So you know, you've had this amazing career. You've you've developed through the NHS. You love the NHS. And first of all, thank you so much for everything. Um, you're a frontline worker, and you've done incredible things. Um, here, here. I remember seeing I remember seeing photographs on your Facebook and your Instagram from you know hours of wearing PPE and face masks and everything and there's just nothing but respect for everything that you and your co-workers have done so <laughs> you say that though but I you know I actually got to leave the house <laughs> see other people I didn't have to homeschool <laughs> and I got fed so oh, well, food is important I was a winner <laughs> so um, don't feel too sorry for me <laughs> So, you know, 18, 18 months ago, um, potentially for you, life looked a very different place. Um, one with the global pandemic that was imminently about to hit. And then um, two, the main reason that you are kindly on the show today, I think, I believe it was around September of 2020. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Claire, if you'd like to to tell us yeah, so short I mean basically in May March I got I was redeployed as were a few members of my team um back to State Mandeville Hospital and I mostly worked on the intensive care unit for three months um which quite a nerve-wracking time but I was hugely supported and it's yeah that's fine that's what I do so um and then I went back to my job and then we set up a COVID, long COVID rehab clinic, which was brilliant. Well, clinic-ish. And then, um, yeah, September came. <laughs> mm. And everything went wrong. Um, but essentially, um, I don't even know how to... So about two weeks after going back to school, Lily's mood took a crazy nosedive. Um, and I will forever... I'll never get over the fact that I didn't notice things sooner. That's something I've just got to, it's pointless going over and over it. It's happened, but that's what I want to be able to help other people with. Maybe we promote eating disorders and the early warning signs. A few people will notice them more than I did, seek the right help. I just didn't see it coming. Um, now I know exactly what to look for, <laughs> but I learned the hard way, I suppose. Yeah, her mood took a massive nosedive. Lily's a feisty <laughs> little one. She's always wanted to push boundaries, always wanted to be different, unbelievably stubborn, but amazing. Um, and just got on really happy, lovely, outgoing, and just was nothing like she was crying all the time really withdrawn didn't want to see her friends it's just so strange and I just thought it was all to do with 
you know she's not been to school for months and mm-hmm. just coping with that transition back to school um but eventually after a couple of nights of just really bad sort of m- low mood I sort of just kept going and going oh what is it what is it what is it and eventually she said it's food and then it was almost like everything just started like slotting I was like oh like oh shit you know all these little things started to like piece together into this oh dear Mm. and um yeah so I sort of immediately you know went to the GP the thing is we don't have scales in our house I've never had scales horrible things um I've tried not to do the whole talk about weight thing, you know, all of that. Mm. Um, so anyway, I took her to the GP. She spoke to her. Um, we got referred to CAM, so um, Adolescent Mental Health Services. Um, sorry, I'm waffling here. Trying to no, remember you're not. You're doing really well. Um, but unfortunately, and I reached out, some of my good friends put me in immediately in touch with another good friend whose daughter had had an eating disorder she was fantastic she just immediately emailed me a load of stuff um she'd been the, the Maudsley in London run a really um sort of well-known eating disorder service so her daughter had been there so she sent me guidelines and you know and I this is you know that's my my job is reading guidelines reading scientific mm. papers so I just immersed myself in what can I do yeah <laughs> you know to try and turn this around immediately just and I I pulled Lily out of school because it was quite quite clear that you know she wasn't well at that point she just couldn't you know she didn't collapse but we were walking back from a friend's house one day and she could barely walk it was like 10 minutes up the road so I pulled her out of school. I took time off, emergency time off work. I went into her room on the Friday morning and I was like, welcome to the Willems Eating Disorder School. <laughs> Today, we are writing down all the things, the pros of eating, the cons. And I'd looked up loads of stuff and I prepared all these A4 sheets. And I think she was like, <laughs> I was like, we are writing down all the pros of this, the cons of that. We're writing, you know, all this stuff didn't work obviously but anyway I tried so yeah got lots of reach and the the short story is then we um got our first appointment with CAMS which was at the beginning of October and unfortunately I knew she wasn't well but I didn't realize how unwell she was she wasn't just collapsing all over the place she was walking around Mm. but forever hugging a hot water bottle drinking loads of water obviously freezing cold I knew things that she wasn't right she was obviously trying to starve herself and we were trying to get her to eat but what became apparent was that she had obviously been hiding loads of food and we subsequently keep finding bits of food over the house from a long time ago um so what we thought we were getting in wasn't going in. So anyway, um, first CAMS appointment, she got admitted straight from that appointment, which was really horrid. So we had to go straight to Stoke Mandeville. She was in quite a bad, there's something called a marzipan checklist that you use for mm-hmm. eating disorders. And um, her heart rate was really low. And essentially when you, 
go into that state of starvation your body goes into basically like a hibernation um, because it's a way of the body trying to conserve energy Mm. so when she sat down her heart rate would go really low and then when she stood up it would rise up again and that's a really bad warning sign apparently blood pressure did similar so anyway we had to go into state mandeville and basically we were there for eight days because she had to be refed so they do refeeding they have to do refeeding really slowly because if you refeed too quickly it can cause sort of electrolyte and metabolism problems and everything can get out of kilter so she had to have continuous ecg monitoring um that was horrendous because I mean, I sat there for two nights watching her heart rate went down below 35 when she was sleeping. It was just the most awful, awful time. And they had a monitor on her and every time it went below that, it would beep. And I, so I was like, like getting the nurses in again and it just kept happening all over and I was shaking her to try and wake her up because I was like, Duh, she's going to rest. Um, it was horrible. Um, but anyway, we got through the refeeding bit. It was awful. Um, came home four weeks at home just nightmare absolutely yeah, just nightmare. To, just sorry inter- right should I no, stop no, there no right. no just interrupt just just for our listeners just to put it into perspective um you could you just tell us how old Lily was when this first so Lily's started? 13 so Lily was 13 at the end of July last year so she's coming up to being 14 this year oh. so she's in year uh, she was in year eight at the time. She's in year nine now. Right. No, she was in year nine. Sorry, she was in year nine at Prince's at Prince's Risborough Secondary School. Um, I suppose I've tried to sort of write some things down to keep me on track, but those early warning signs that I wish I had noticed. Um, back home, four weeks, absolute nightmare. Um, unfortunately, she was in a very bad, bad way. Um, and we had to go back into hospital in the middle of December, it's the 10th, um, and she was then in State Mandeville for 30 days. Um, within that time period, unfortunately, we had to consent to her being sectioned because she just wouldn't eat anything and would continually pull out NG tubes and was going to die. So we had to consent to her being sectioned, which was horrendous. She had to be restrained for feeds, which was awful. Um, that's putting it lightly. And then on the at the beginning of January, we finally got a bed at a specialist inpatient unit in Oxford called the Highfield. She transferred there and she was there for four months and they were amazing. Um, and she was discharged about five, six weeks ago. Our journey continues, unfortunately, during her recovery period because of the distress caused by eating. She self-harmed an awful lot. So lots of different things have, have, have gone on. But um, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, first of all, thank you once again. I just can't. Uh, repeat enough you know our sincere thanks of you you know sharing that with us because that's a firstly a, a hugely um, traumatic experience for you as a parent um, and, and and of course Lily go, you know going through that um, and your openness and and will you know your willingness to share that you know will hopefully help others and we'll, and we'll discuss some of those early warning signs that you, you, you mentioned in a moment but you know it must be every 
every parent's worst nightmare to to have a daughter that or, or a son in whichever case but you know a child that you know just doesn't want to eat or it's so, starve yeah, themselves or, yeah it's so fundamental isn't it to you feed your child from the moment they're born don't you and it was god if i i could have gone through it for her i would have but i couldn't and i think it was not it's not my illness it's her illness she had to go through it which was horrendous but what we had to consent to put her through was pretty horrible but, yeah absolutely um and i don't think she'll ever quite not forgive me that's not the right word but um I still occasionally get why did you let them do that to me that type of thing which is pretty miserable but then she probably wouldn't be here so yeah and, and hopefully yeah you can just you know hope with time that that realization you know comes around you know like you know all of that but I think nothing. that's the thing I think parenting a child with I'm sure any illness um and I only have the perspective of a parent parenting a child with an eating disorder the distress that you have to watch them go through is really quite hard um mm. yeah but ultimately they're the one that has to live it so it's worse for them but um yeah, mm. yeah absolutely. I mean it's um I think there's probably a lot of people and who are out there who have been affected by uh, an, an eating disorder whether it's um themselves or you know, a, a child, a sibling, a best friend. Um, and it's definitely something that sits, and we've talked about this in a couple of episodes, that they all sit on a continuum, depending on whereabouts on that continuum it, mm. um, it hits. And maybe when you first, I don't know, when you, when you talked about when you first sort of discussed it and was, you know, um, thinking about it, maybe... I just wonder how far along that continue actually you thought it was. And then obviously that CAMS meeting where they said. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I don't think I appreciated, yeah, how unwell she was. The thing is, Lily's quite slight. She always has been. Mm. So unfortunately, it didn't take long for her to um, lose weight rapidly and go into low BMI territory very, very quickly. Mm. And I think not that it's no better, obviously, for anybody, but if you, for example, got more weight to lose, you're maybe going to take longer to get into that lower weight category. But actually, that's probably more damaging because it's got longer for the, the eating disorder to really take a hold. So it, it, it's not good either way. <laughs> but obviously, there are loads of different eating disorders. I only have experience of restrictive eating disorders, so anorexia nervosa. Um, there are lots of other eating disorders. I don't, you know, like I said, have any experience of those really other than being aware of them but I think we know there's been a huge rise in the number of people with eating disorders diagnosed during the pandemic as other mental health conditions and also a rise in people with existing eating disorders having those maybe they were managing to control it with different control mechanisms and the pandemic has sort of massively changed the way they control and then led to a you know a lapse in their recovery so um and unfortunately, we're one of that statistic, really, <laughs> which is a bit of a naff way to look at it. But um, I've lost my train of thought there. But yes, yeah, so um, 
what I was going to say, so early signs, the things that I've now know now that I think are really important for people to understand. Adolescence is such, that, again, that's a whole other topic, isn't it? It's yeah. such an amazing t- time, but also a huge change in time of, you know, huge brain development, change in body shape, change in metabolic requirements. You're laying down your calcium to your skeleton, your myelinating your brain your, you know there's masses going on to them poor little things mm. um but what i what what i now know is that an eating disorder can be triggered by any period of energy deficit so obviously energy deficit is consuming less calories than you are using end of yeah. no matter how you do it whether you eat enough but you excessively run mm. um whether you um binge purge whether you restrict your intake but you basically your the scales don't don't weigh yeah um but what I also any sort of a warning sign should always be that if a child decides to go on a become a vegetarian be a vegan start to eat healthily all Mm -hmm. these things are not for people to worry about gosh but just being aware that actually keep an eye on them because what they could be doing those things in good faith but actually it could be the start of something that becomes a bit obsessive and a bit worrying and that's what happened to us Lily said she wanted to start she wanted to eat healthily during lockdown and I thought it's amazing it's buying muesli and berries and almond milk which I've now learned that almond milk has a ridiculously low calorie content I hadn't even considered Mm. it I just thought oh that sounds good doesn't it almond milk lovely on your porridge in the morning but she knew she knew what was in it and in her head that traffic light signal you know in supermarkets the packets have got the Mm. green she could only eat things that were green wow right but I I... now I know that now I didn't know it then no you know, it sounds really, I f- when I talk about this, I feel really stupid because people are probably sat there going, well, why didn't you notice? Like, she's your daughter. And I just, I don't know why I didn't. I just, she kept, but the thing that we now know is that she was restricting during the day um, herself, but then would have a normal evening meal with us. So it was sort of less, you know, obvious. I was out of work during the day. Ben was here homeschooling them, but you know, she's really independent. She'd make some lunch. Izzy would have lunch. I don't know. It just, yeah. Um, but unfortunately that's what, what was happening. And, and then it became, you know, she would say to me, this was sort of August time. I would get the shopping in, we'd write a big list. I'd go shopping, you know, to the nice NHS slot, the Sainsbury's on an early morning. And uh, if I came back with the wrong yogurt, you know, it's like if I hadn't got the exact one that she'd put down, I was like, but these were on offer. She'd go mental. Mm. And I just thought she was being a stroppy teenager. <laughs> so I was like, get a grip, eat the bloody yogurt, stop <laughs> moaning. What are you moaning about? Like, <laughs> you know? Um, right, Claire. I mean, I have to say, I. it's funny to think about that traffic light system that you talked about um, being something that can flip and actually be a negative thing because it's almost like you look at it and you're like if I'm getting all the green I'm doing a really good job I'm doing a really good job for my family you know and so that's super but it's amazing to think how and it's that idea of balance isn't it yeah she interpreted that as green is good red is bad 
that, yeah you know, in, like... in her in her head that you know that was that's what it meant so um yeah and also um what you can talk about now then reflection is how almost uh, in her in her mind how methodical she was about how she was going to eat through the day to yeah. make sure it continued to appear yeah. like her diet was how it you know how yeah, it should with less it was but that's that's the thing eating so eating disorders thrive on secrecy mm. um so they are hard i think they are hard to spot um why that is i i don't know but other things i suppose to look out for sort of a becoming obsessed around food so it's not yeah. just about what you eat it's how it's prepared so she would get really so if i put her food on the plate and then we'd sit down, she'd get really cross with me. Don't, I'm serving up my dinner. And I was like, again, I was just like, oh, for goodness sake, like, stroppo. But actually, I just, that is a, that, so she wanted, it's that control over what goes on the plate. And that's what I said, mean about it all coming crashing down when I sort of realised, I was like, oh, geez. Um, she started to get really, yeah, controlling about how the food was put on her plate, exactly what brand it was, things like that. And and then, like I said, it was shortly after that she returned to school and and then we we found out. But I think the other, so the, that I think just looking out for that, yeah, that period of energy deficit. So Lily never really excessively exercised, but that can be a massively important part of some people who um, who have anorexia. They may restrict, but also excessively exercise, but it's not exercise that's healthy or beneficial. It's ritualistic. They have to do it. If they don't do it, they cannot eat. And that's not a healthy relationship with mm. with food. And and the thing is, the anorexia is never satisfied. So if they were running five miles a day, then it's going to get to the point where it says mm, that's not enough. Run six miles. So it's just looking out for those habits in people that it's becoming like a bit obsessive. Um, and then I suppose this is where the genetics kick in. And this is why a small percentage of people actually develop severe eating disorders, which is a good thing. So the majority of people really don't need to worry. It's just about, you know, looking out for things. But what we now know, there was a huge study a couple of years ago into anorexia particularly, and they sort of basically think that sort of 60 to 70 percent of it is genetically predetermined and then triggered by certain maybe environmental meta you know, biological metabolic factors that then trigger mm. so the way John her eating disorder consultant sort of explained it to me is that you take a thousand girls and boys that decide to go on some sort of healthy eating crusade or veganism or vegetarianism or whatever it might be taking up extra exercise and go into a period of energy deficit most people can't tolerate that for very long because it's not very nice you get hungry no. <laughs> you don't you know you don't want to miss out on what your friends are doing rather than go on that five mile run yeah exactly yeah. you know and you start looking for food your friends are going for starbucks you know like, oh blow it i really want to go with them because most of us our brains are wired as such that we get that sense of pleasure from food and you get hungry and those chemicals then send things up to your brain and you've got certain pathways that that stop that becoming a problem so most people can't do it and they just will naturally come out of it this is where the genetics kick in and that there are different reward loops within the brain in people that then develop severe eating disorders so rather than 
oh bloody hell I'm hungry they get like a that would be a positive well done you're doing great that sense of starvation was like a a reward Mm. um so this they've actually shown on sort of like MRI scans that different areas of the brain are triggered and then food becomes you know bad and feel guilty about eating and then unfortunately what then happens is if you go into starvation mode if you restrict enough um and I think generally if you go below a BMI 15 it's quite sort of dangerous territory then the brain actually physically shrinks so an anorexic brain is a shrunken brain because you starve yourself of all essential protein so your brain is stripped of all essential protein so you cannot your brain cannot function normally and so it particularly affects the logic areas of your brain and so there is absolutely no ration rationale here like no logic what why would you not eat you know why would you look at a bowl of porridge and have a massive panic attack it, it, it there is no <laughs> it defies logic doesn't it i've put a straw in a cup the wrong way around and that's that's ruined the whole meal it, there, there's no um and I think this is where, unfortunately, it's maybe poorly understood. People have this sort of just eat, you know, attitude. I'm like, it's a serious yeah. mental illness. Anorexia yeah. has one of the highest mortality rates. And it's above other sort of physical illnesses. People take their own life by suicide or through malnourishing their body. They, it's got a really, really high mortality rate. And the funding that goes into this compared to other diseases is appalling um, i mean I it takes so say. basically it takes sorry sas i'm just no, it no, just, no it, it's like a beast it, it yeah, it's the best way to describe it. i called it the bitch sorry i'm, I'm i swear it possessed my daughter she was not my daughter she was absolutely possessed she had a voice in her head telling her what to do don't do that don't eat that run up and down the corridor um you mustn't eat you mustn't you know really loud um and once the brain shrinks it, it becomes vulnerable to all these these factors um and and therein lies the, the massive problem so the earlier you can spot the eating disorder the earlier you can intervene the earlier you can get help the earlier you can try to get in there and and work out what's causing this excessive exercise this restriction this thoughts about healthy eating and just try to mold those um then that you know the better yeah. I mean, I have, I have to say, this is, this has blown my mind. Like it's so much deeper than than what I was aware of, and just the fact, like, um, you know, I didn't appreciate that the brain actually shrinks. Like, and that concept of, you know, then losing, like, you have no logic, and, yeah. and it's, it then, you know, that starts to kind of then make sense, doesn't it? Like. We've all heard of anorexia, haven't we? I had, but I yeah. had absolutely no idea that this is what it, you know, did to people. And that's why they get, you know, you, this is what, from day one, or not day one, very shortly into Lily's journey, I was determined that she was not going to live a life with an eating disorder. Because, you know, you know, once I started hearing about it, pe people, <laughs> everyone was well-meaning, but... I'm so sad to hear about Lily. My sister's friends had anorexia for 20 years. And I was like, I do not need to know that. No. <laughs> because my daughter is not having anorexia for 20 years. I'm telling you that now. And I was, you know, you know that people live a life with 
anorexia they do and then Nikki Graham died last mm. year yeah. and um, she clearly lived life with anorexia and it's living by you can just about live you know you can just about eat enough to keep going but you're you're ruled by rules rituals around food around how much you need to exercise you can't enjoy your life because mm. you are governed by a set of predetermined rules and that's not that's not fair and I was adamant that Lily is not having that life it's not happening I mean it's just they're just surviving right they're just they're just being just you know just at the just above the surface and and who's to say you know what you know that's their own life isn't it but I'm not I'm not letting Lily have that life and it's not happening you know and that I, I can I think that's what I have been um most blown away by initially you know apart from what you've talked about tonight is um you have used social media as a very positive platform to say right no we're not we're not having this and um you know this is happening to our family like this is happening this is real it's something we're going through it's something we've been through we are you know, nothing to be ashamed of. <laughs> nothing to be ashamed of, right? It's nothing to be ashamed of. And actually, you know, you're trying to help people learn from it. And um, I can see you're wearing your bracelet, right? And would you like to tell us what's on your bracelet? Yeah, so I suppose I, it was when Lily was in the hospital second time. So we're in there for 30 days. So it's a, it's a fun. And uh, I made a sort of a decision that, and I'd been quite open about it before that anyway, friends, family, because I was like, well, why would I, it's an illness. Why would I in any way treat it any differently to any other illness? Absolutely. I did feel, I do, I did feel, I do feel guilty about it. Um, but that's just something I need to deal with. Like, what did we do? What could I have done differently? You know, what did I do when she was a baby? What did I, could I, but anyway, that, that's silly. Um, uh so I made a decision I social media a whole nother topic of conversation but I decided that I needed to reach out to people I suppose initially selfishly to help me because it helped me just to talk about it Mm -hmm. um and many nights googling who knew that Etsy has a whole recovery section of anorexia who knew who knew so I bought Lily a spoon that's engraved with eat it to beat it I think that got thrown across the bay a few times. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, trying. (laughs) And uh, we've had all sorts of things thrown everywhere. Um, And then this lovely girl um, called the Calm Creative, um, I believe she's had an eating disorder herself, makes these lovely bracelets. And she donates all the money to Beat, which is one of the UK's leading eating disorder charities. Mm. And she hand makes them. And then she sends them through the post with a beautifully handwritten letter with calligraphy and giving you positive messages and affirmations. Mm. Um, And it just blew me away, like her generosity. And so pretty much everyone I know and all my family have got one. All of Lily's friends have got one. And I think at the time when Lily was in hospital and couldn't really engage with anybody because she just switched off from everything. And her friends were really worried about her. It gave them something to feel like they were and what can you do? You can't do anything. No. I've never felt so helpless in my life. And everyone wanted to help, but bar feeding my child, there wasn't really anything anyone could do. But wearing these, just somehow, we all still wear them. Ben's got one. Izzy's got one. Show Izzy support. doesn't say. Izzy doesn't say 
F anorexia because <laughs> I didn't think that would be appropriate. Um, so I said something a bit different. But it just is a weird um, thing. Yeah. So that's it's why a, we wear that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, I think it's a very powerful thing. And um, Claire put on a, a really great photograph of you. you there's all, it's all like fists in, um, you know, in a circle united with the bracelets saying, you know, fuck anorexia right it really just out there and I think it was really it was really powerful and it was one know, of the that... first times Lily was home from the high field for the weekend and she had all of her sort of closest friends over all at the same time mm. I think we were nearing discharge and it just I just walked into her bedroom and the amount of times over these months I've walked into her bedroom and she's not there and it's just the most horrendous feeling she's a 13 year old kid she should be in her own room you know it's just heartbreaking and I couldn't bear it but anyway the fact that I just opened the door and she was there and not only was she there she was there with her friends mm. smiling and laughing I just and they all had their bracelets on and it just I was like right everybody arms in <laughs> um yeah right. just came came from that and I, I think that's really important I think you know with well most illnesses you know whether it's you know, an eating disorder or cancer or whatever, I think it's really nice for friends and family to be able to show support when yeah. there may be nothing else that they can physically yeah. do or anything else that they can offer support. But having that yeah. connection with, you knowing that you're supporting that person or showing that you're showing yeah. that, supporting that person. Yeah. She was the one that, yeah. So, yeah, lots of, um, yeah. Um, so that was really helpful I think and yeah I just decided to be really open about it from the beginning and mm. there is I know there's a massive stigma um around mental health issues um people have said things not they don't say it out of any but just really misguided comments and just like I can't I don't have the time to even deal with that really mm. we got referred to social services for a safeguarding assessment Wow. Um, can't tell you how angry I got about that. I wouldn't have been referred if my daughter had a different illness, um, because obviously for some reason the family's to blame. And I don't, I don't hold my hands up and take no responsibility, but I don't believe that I caused her eating disorder. It's an illness like any other illness, and um, we were treated like we'd caused it. Yeah, and that was that was a really low point. Um, I mean, just when you're looking for support that's what that's what you had to deal with at the same time and you know uh, I I can't even imagine just I just sat them off though I think I rang the big alarm bell in the office and like parent won't allow us to talk to her children <laughs> they're like ding a ling a ling warning sign red flag red flag <laughs> like oh you go ring that bell that's fine I just said look I can't talk to you right now my daughter was sectioned like three days ago I'm in all kinds of despair <laughs> but your mm. daughter has suicidal ideation I was like I'm well aware of that she's on an acute pediatric ward she's sectioned she's got a 24-hour mental health nurse watching us the whole day and mm. uh yeah that's why she's here <laughs> so yeah. just leave us alone for a minute um um yeah that was fun 24-hour mental health nurse watching you for 20 days brilliant <laughs> everything I mean, you do you sleep yeah. everything you might fart you sleep you might you know you might sleep talk you might snore they watch everything brilliant <laughs> and that was for 20 days I think I can't she got sectioned we were in she was in Stoke for yeah I think it was about 20 days yeah and were yeah. you allowed to I mean obviously okay again you've had to not only deal with this 
and you know look after Lily and yourself and as you said that that core group of you and Ben and Izzy um but then you had to deal you had to do it through like COVID and be restricted with how often you could see her yeah well I, I stayed in the hospital with her because there was no way I wasn't and she needed she was so fragile and 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 you know I'm, I obviously have massive I NHS I think is amazing and the nurses on the ward were just absolutely fantastic they couldn't have been any better but they do not have the time or the staffing to refeed an anorexic child you know every meal can take an hour and a half easily they wow. can't they do not have the time to sit there and do that so I you know and also she would respond to me and um so they obviously provide they provided whatever and but then she was ng tube fed for most of it so um but yeah they you know i i had to be there and a few times I'd, i came home for a couple of hours by the time i got back she's in such a bad state i just said to them we can't leave her at all so after about three weeks they let ben and i um swap we just had to be swabbed each time we went in so they allowed us some leeway because i was like i i was so tired you can't sleep in there um, but anyway that's another yeah that's um but anyway yeah but and I the mean, worst thing was I couldn't get to the kitchen to make a cup of tea oh and you know how much I love tea. love a cup of tea I couldn't because of covid I wasn't allowed in the kitchen so I used to hover outside the door with my cup ready and <laughs> I took my do. own tea bags in because I'm a tea snob and I have to have Yorkshire tea that is one of my life lessons you must drink Yorkshire tea it's very nice and I'd have my tea bag all in I was like please can someone just buy my cup <laughs> I have very little in my life at the moment I need a cup of tea (laughs) I mean I think I do I I don't know again like how many people are aware that all these little steps are happening like you know like that you've gone through um it's not just as easy to say well you know my you know she's been told that she's got we've been told she's got anorexia she's going to go to hospital but actually it's you know you're going through loads of different things and again just making people I'm sure there's people out there who know understand what you're going through whether they are there they're working in it they're the nurses who are doing it or um, you know the parents who have been through it or the individuals but I I think there's probably going to be a lot of people out there who are this is all new this is all learning and it's all sort of and things like the fact that you said the funding is is so limited for for really something limited. like this um well, you we know, know the so... funding gap for mental health disorders is you know you have to be pretty severely unwell to get help and in in some ways we were luck not lucky that she was so unwell but we got immediate help because she was so unwell i know people that are spending ages trying to get the help that they need because their child's are on the brink you know it's not right is it it's not it's not really not right um for any mental health problem but um yeah I suppose yeah so I suppose fundamentally that that journey of recovery is not really what we're talking about now it's it's something that I hope people never have to experience that if you do I think it's just really important to know that there is loads of help out there Mm. um so beats I haven't got all the numbers on me but they can be I don't know link to the podcast or something yeah right now um beat is an amazing charity um uk-based feast is a worldwide based 
um, eating disorder charity, which is brilliant. And they do this amazing thing called the 30 day feast. You get an email every day with a summary of new information that takes you through 30 days and it's made by parents for parents of parents who've had children with eating disorders. That was a lifeline. And then there's another UK based website called Seed. There's, there is a lot of help out there. And I was put in touch with an amazing lady called Jenny Langley. And she works through the Charlie Waller Trust. So I've written this down actually, because it's a really important charity. So the Charlie Waller Trust is for young people and adolescents um, to be able to understand and look after their own mental health. And they specialize in producing sort of evidence-based guidelines, information, training for kids, schools, parents. Um, it's a really wide ranging website. And then they've got like an eating disorder sort of <laughs> part of that so yeah. it's an amazing charity um, Charlie Waller took his own life at a young age and then his parents set up the Charlie Waller Trust and then Jenny Langley is funded through the Charlie Waller Trust to run these um, forums and training courses for parents of or and carers looking after children and adults of, of with learning disability, learning disability eating disorders what am I talking about um, and uh, it, it's, it's phenomenal because not only are you learning essential skills, you are in the company of people who are going through what you're going through. You can just see it in their faces and it just helps to know that you're not the only one um, somehow. <laughs> Having a child in an acute adolescent inpatient unit isn't what I imagined for my teenager. So um, mm. it's not a very nice feeling. <laughs> But knowing that other other parents are doing it too and they look perfectly normal too <laughs> and they've done a really good job but it's not their fault the child's ill for whatever reason um just helped me i mean you've been on a uh, you're someone who's in the medical world yeah you work in the you work at hospital you have a good understanding of lots of different things uh that that, that go on in the hospital yet yeah, it sounds like you have been on a very steep learning curve and yeah. um you have shared with us some fascinating facts about um about this illness and i i'm sure your it's what you've discussed with us is merely the tip of the iceberg and there is so much more there that is, we could yeah. talk about and that you could share but what i'm interested to know now is from experiencing this you know it's probably nearly coming up to like a year of this this journey for Lily and you know for yourselves um sort of what would you like to see going forward because obviously you, one of your big things is you want people to know these yeah, early yeah. signs so they're there you know their loved one doesn't yeah, get yeah. to that point but you know where do you want to go um from here oh gosh I don't know I I, I keep thinking um I'd like to be there are certain things you can do through the beat fee seed websites to be sort of like a parent advocate to support other families who's but I'm not I've looked at it a few times I'm not in that place yet we're still having to give Lily an awful lot of support and I but I'd like to get to the stage where I can do so and I know Lily wants to help too so um, but I suppose if you go onto the beat website you can actually print off an early warning sign poster that can be put up um, anywhere I've given it to Lily's gym she's back at gymnastics she loves gymnastics oh, that's wonderful. Um, um, as part just her meal plan has to take that into account but I've given it to put up around the gym because I was like I'd rather you know just it's very visual just people can see it 
and just to know yeah as well that you know if any I would I'm always happy to be reached out to give my contact details because I think knowledge is power isn't it and um, finally since I put those posts on social media quite a lot of people have contacted me and it's amazing how many people are struggling or know somebody who's struggling but they just don't talk about it openly day to day so it just feels nice to be able to help other people and um, so yeah longer term that's sort of something that I'd like to do but there are things you can just do in terms of um, helping yeah raise awareness um, I'm still I suppose quite in the in the midst of things really and yeah recovery is going to take a really long time I think um, whether she'll should I think it was something that she's always vulnerable to um, we'll just have to keep an eye on things for a long time but but yeah the sort of nitty-gritty of recovery I think if you have to deal with that if you have to go there there is help you can get lots of help and support um, but I think for me it's about yeah that noting those early warning signs different types of eating disorders um different treatments for different eat so there's ARFID there's binge purge there's all different bulimia obviously anorexia just people understanding looking knowing where to go where to look yeah yeah and I think Claire just by you coming on the podcast today you know if I don't know 10 people listen to it you know, I'm one of those picks up one snippet that they think, oh, I just need to check that. And everything might be okay. But, you know, at least, you know, and, and that's what's, you know, Sass and I are hopefully trying to do a, a, around a variety of different topics. You, you are one of many fantastic guests in that we're trying to help raise awareness of a variety of different yeah. things. Because as we discussed briefly, you know, it, it's it's not until you're affected by something that, you st- you even pay attention sometimes like anorexia you kind of know about and even as, as educators for SAS and I you know we've both been form tutors heads of year we kind of know you know about it but you know the, the, just those little things like even the fact that you know Lily was kind of 12 13 years of age I wrongly assume that it's an older teenage thing i.e 15 16 17 but actually, you know, 12 is, you know, it's young, it's really young. Um, so yeah, look, I just wanted to once again say a huge thank you for your vulnerability and and, and sharing sharing your story because it's going to make a difference somewhere. I'm absolutely positive. Yeah, that's all that's all I want, really. And I think, yeah, we we all we can't all campaign for everything. <laughs> um, so we all campaign no. about the things that really we really care about and that affect us. And that's all that we can do. And that's all that you want is just one little thing to make someone go. Oh, and and hopefully then seek the right help or look into the right things. Um, but I suppose there's a couple of other things I've. Lily also um, self harmed significantly um, because unfortunately she the distress of eating was so much. But at the high field, once she went to the high field, which was amazing, she had to eat. They they don't. There's no option. Um, and so she there was a she self-harmed a lot um, so self-harm is another thing that I've looked into quite a lot so again if I mainly know about it from an eating disorder perspective in terms of the triggers but in terms of sort of managing that and the, the treatments and things I've, I've looked into quite a lot of stuff so again if anybody needs any information on sort of self-harming and strategies and tools that you could use to talk with your teenager 
about to try and help come alongside them and help them through those times and you know mm. again I'm happy to help with that because it's quite distressing so, yeah. yeah that's great and and um as we do with all all episodes we'll um put a list of your recommendations for links and websites and and both with the kind of uh, eating disorder side of things mental health that you've come across but also you know um self-harming as well so you know people just make sure you check the notes on the podcast yeah. information and, and it'll all be there and and um uh, claire's contact if yeah. and when you're willing to yeah, share that well, i'm, well. I'm more than um, happy to obviously. share that um and i think the other thing i so i know i keep talking is like the role of medication as well because you know with my job as well that you know you always try to go down the, the physio so it's like the non-pharmacological route to well-being mm-hmm. but and there's plenty of things we can do in terms of our physical and mental health without involving um medication but they do have a role um and i don't think people i know people particularly pay a lot of patients i treat who tend to be a bit older very scared of antidepressants maybe or mm. or they'll make me this they'll make me that and I, and I think actually you know it's just getting it out there it's not a bad thing to be on medication to help you manage it's not something that you you should be ashamed of if mm. it helps you to cope through a certain time then I, I I just think that is something that people do worry about they maybe don't want to share with people but actually you know it can have a really important role I mean I i you I was on beta blockers sleep, sleeping tablets zopiclone I'm on um anti-anxiety medication as well to get me through that period because I couldn't I couldn't cope mm. it was awful yeah. and so the only way I yeah, could I, I could get through was with all this and I'm now off the sleeping tablets and I'm off the beta blockers you'll be delighted to know but um and I hope to gradually wean off of the other medication but it it got me through a very difficult time when I don't think I could have done it without that medication and the GP was amazing and didn't just whack it at me straight away we talked about lots of things and um, and Lily's on medication and I found it very hard to accept that my daughter needed to be on such strong medication but mm. it, it along with lots of other things it has massively helped her so I think not not forgetting the role that medication can have yeah no, I, yeah, I agree. I think it's a conversation we have. I've had with the previous guest that we've mm. had on, and in that, once again, it's about normalizing that, like you've tried to do with with the disease, the illness yeah. that you know um, Lily has had. It's it's about normalizing. You know, those tablets help people make you get better. Yeah. You you take a limb set when you've got exactly. a cold, um, you know, and taking Ciprex to help with some anxiety. Yeah. It helps you manage at a specific mm. point. It doesn't have to be forever. It can last for many years, but um, you know, it's just not. It's normal, yeah. um, and and I think you know, you'd be surprised by how many people yeah. are that taking something to help in some sort of way in some part of their life. So yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I think there's some. I mean, your message is is huge, Claire, and you've, you know, you you've discussed so many different topics, and I think people will be fascinated to just hear more about um what you you know what you could tell what you could uh, through your experiences and you know self-harming again is something that uh, is definitely another topic that needs to be discussed and 
you know, all of these things need to be discussed by parents and, and teachers and, you know, individuals, because it's all out there as well, isn't it? And if people want yeah. to find it, they can they can also find it. Um, we know these teenagers have access to the internet and they share all mm. aspects of their life, um, which is sort of hard for us to understand in the way that they view it, but that's because it's not our lived experience, is it? So you have to try and, I, I often say come alongside because I'm, you know, trying really hard with Lynn, I've always felt it's not the right, it's never the right option to just say, no, you can't do that. You need to try mm. and understand why it is they'd like to do something and try mm. and, you know, gently guide them in the right direction. Yeah. Massively failing at that right now, but there you go. Um, You're doing but, an amazing uh, job. <laughs> but yeah, just trying to uh, understand why they might do things that they do and help them try to help them come up with strategies that mm. could help them rather than feeling like they're being told what to do um because they don't they don't like that <laughs> i think that is that is is amazing it's a very yeah not telling them but guiding them and giving them options yeah. and strategies is great um yeah. so going think, on the course through sorry the charlie waller trust yeah. and jenny langley she's an amazing lady um that taught me that taught like communication skills it was very ed related but actually you could take it into lots of different aspects and it, it, it it's really sort of like uh, i she says say things like i'm really interested to understand why you think that might be the case and like that and lily's like oh f off with your therapist speak <laughs> like well i'm just trying here you know i'm trying <laughs> really say, hard no you can't pierce your nose tonight um, I'm really interested. Could you tell me why you'd like to do that, Lily? What are the pros? What are the cons? <laughs> Ooh, can you not do that? Um, <laughs> piercing's a thing at the moment, all sorts of different areas of the body. Um, so I'm trying to sort of walk this line of like, I mm. understand that you might need to do this, but again, I digress into a whole other area. But I think it's a, a um, talking to teenagers about eating disorders talking to and actually there is loads of information again so if you are if you do think gosh I think there's might be something that I want to talk to my teenager or young child about or older mm. teen then actually you can go onto the websites and they've actually got scripts to help you prepare to talk to the child because it's really it's a wow. difficult subject to broach really what do you do go up and go you're starving yourself that's not yeah. going to go down well is it like yeah. so it they actually got they can they guide you in having that conversation with them to try to make it less confrontational mm. so before you even have that conversation you can get help um in how to do that which is great that i mean that's great to know because that's that is a confidence builder straight away isn't it to know that you've you know you it's it's out there and it's available and Wow. I mean, I could, I could just sit here and talk <laughs> and ask you, I have, so many, I have so many questions. Yeah. And I suppose I think of it as like as a teacher as well. I imagine there might be times where you'd have to maybe have a difficult conversation with somebody where 100%. you've noticed something and it would maybe just help you to know how to have that conversation. Yeah. It, yeah. I think, you know, this is, that's a great, that's a great resource. I'm keen to, I know what I'll be doing at the end of this. I'll definitely be researching <laughs> some of these incredible websites that you have you've shared with us um so claire we are sadly going to have to start drawing this um episode to a close um but we have our final questions to ask you um 
So our first question is, Claire, uh, would you say you are healthy? I wrote down trying. Amazing. Great answer. Amazing. Good. I try to exercise. I'm a physio, but I hate it. I'm trying. <laughs> I should drink less wine, but I'm trying. <laughs> Good. I think that's a really, I think that is a really great way to describe it. So um, it's very positive. Trying. Yeah, it's a really positive <laughs> way to look at it. Just trying. Just Every trying. Day. Giving it a go. Yep. Um, okay. Second question. Are you comfortable? So I interpreted that and I wrote down with who I am. Yes. Mm. Nice. Nice answer. I mean, that's powerful. That's powerful on so many levels because there's probably people out there who might probably say just are blown away by the fact that you so confidently said yeah yeah I'm comfortable with who well, I am I've not always felt that way and I'm like you know you, you have to we have to accept who we are and I, I I know things I do wrong and I don't do everything right by any means but mm. I try I think it's a beautiful thing I and my I heart's think... in the right place <laughs> your heart's been in the right so, place always that you know I that's 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 me and I just have to well you accept that or yeah I just wish more people could could feel like that and just you know be Good kind to themselves yeah, yeah I agree. beautiful yes look at her go this is amazing okay and then the third one then is are you happy Claire yes I wrote but with a big caveat that massively affected by my family's well-being so mm -hmm. I've never felt despair sadness utter terror that I have over the past few months and mm. awful but yet always grateful for what I have and I wrote down grateful because to me happy grateful every day for having what I have around me and being as lucky as I am in lots of respects and um yeah it goes up and down yesterday morning we had a dreadful morning with Lily it was awful I felt far from happy <laughs> am I grateful for what I have yes uh, again yeah it's an amazing answer Claire yeah it really is a really lovely answer thank you so much again for being so open with it um okay then our final final bit of the um of the show is sing a song have... no 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 <laughs> that is not happening <laughs> <laughs> um she can dance though i can definitely vouch for that oh, I can. um <laughs> is what would be your tips um for well-being like what would you give the uh, the listeners out there well my first thing you said three and i my first ask was going to be can i have four <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes, you can. can. For a little bit more, and then again, this is so hard because there are so many. But then I decided that if I'm with a patient and things maybe aren't going the way we want them to or the way we expected them to, then I always strip things down to the basics. And I'm mm. like, Are you sleeping well? Mm. How are you eating? Because a lot of my patients will go long periods of time without eating because it's too much it's too much of an effort to get to the kitchen and you know whatever whatever the reason 
makes them breathless whatever obviously you've got no energy easy you need to feel your body Mm -hmm. um and as lily said when she was in hospital i i quote her i ate a massive white chocolate i mean it was huge white chocolate bar all to myself felt sick and i was like oh i feel really sick i shouldn't (laughs) be in that and she just turned around and went it's always better to eat than not eat and i was like that is a very good answer lily well done (laughs) and should we ever feel guilty about eating no is any food bad no if you eat the wrong types of foods all the time of course there's going to be effects is any food bad no it's not shouldn't we should never refer to food as that sorry i digress again right so sleep sleep is crucial to life nutrition good nutrition movement really important and love being loved giving love to other people those are my four I mean, I'm not, I, you couldn't have hit them all better than, I don't know. I'm still, sorry, I'm still quite, I feel quite um, overwhelmed by your, the, the statement that, that Lily said. Yeah. So, um, I mean, Lily and I have the same sense of humour. So there was points in the hospital. So I would go for my daily trip to Asda just because it was something to do. You know. Do you want anything? Obviously not. Well, I got a face pack and things like that. And I, I had like a stash of food in the hospital and I was like, well, at least I know you're not going to eat my food. Humor's <laughs> <laughs> key sometimes, right? You did, like, yeah, she, could, she could actually laugh with me. And then when she went to the high field, she, she wasn't allowed her phone, which I found devastating because I thought that was going to be my way of connecting with her. But anyway, um, so she was allowed a brick phone um so I, I got her a phone without a camera or internet so a nokia like it was hilarious oh. i wrote iphone 12 on the box and whatnot <laughs> brilliant really clever mom there and then <laughs> so i spoke to her on it and i said oh you know have you got the charger she said oh no they took it away and i was like oh why she's like you know i might hang myself i was like <laughs> oh <laughs> i mean valid thing but it's just she's got my dark sense of humor so uh, yeah, yeah. um it- you have to and I suppose I can yeah. add a fifth there laugh you have to laugh don't you? you have yeah, to you laugh definitely you have to five yeah. is always a good number I quite smile, like that. smile and laugh yeah, yeah. And if, I mean if, if we don't bring sorry. the show to an end it might end up being 12 so I'm really sorry I've gone on so long <laughs> no no really... not at all we've loved it Claire thank you ever right. so much it's amazing just stop me there <laughs> no um so so we, we, I mean, I'm gonna, we're gonna have to draw it to a close. Sadly, like literally, I'm so sad to to have to do this. But um, this this has been um, an amazing conversation. Um, it has opened my eyes and my mind to so many different things, linked to something that we hear about in the news and on social media so much. Um, and so I just again want to say thank you so much, Claire, for for everything, for uh, your knowledge, the experience of your journey uh, for both you, Lily and Ben and Izzy. Um, and just, you know, that the, your, your tips of just uh, sleep, eat, um, laugh, love and move. And, and, you know, so thank you so much. You've been um, a wonderful person in my life and for nearly 30 years. And I feel very honored to that we've been able to have this this evening um so so thank you from me and and thank you ever so much from me obviously 
Claire, I don't know you as well as, as SAS by any means, but nevertheless, you've told an incredible story. And, and as I said, I'm sure it's going to help many, many people uh, listening to the podcast. Um, and, and as we've already said, all the links and, and various charities and support groups will be listed in the podcast listing so yeah thank you from me uh, yeah i've been it's been very humbling your story is very humbling um to think that a parent would have to go through what you've been through is yeah is remarkable and and yeah you, you and you and ben are amazing parents so yeah keep it going and yeah send lily and and the rest of the family all of the very best from the healthy comfortable happy podcast yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Well, there we go, everybody. Um, we hope you've enjoyed um, this uh, episode and uh, please tune in to the next one. And it's good night. And thank you to Claire again. It's good night from me. And uh, yeah, ciao from me. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye.